Today's guest is my good friend, Mike Dowling, the author of the book, Sergeant Rex, and big special thanks to Audible for supporting this channel and making it so that if you want to pick up a copy of his book, you can go to audible.com slash fullmag, sign up and get it for free. Now, Sergeant Rex is one of 150,000 books that you can go download there. I spend a ridiculous amount of time in my truck. So between trips from Tennessee to Los Angeles and just getting out to the range sometimes takes me three hours one way. So I accumulated 121 hours and 45 minutes of time spent listening to audiobooks in the first four months of having Audible while I was driving on the road. So I promise you, if you listen to this entire podcast, you're going to want to go download Sergeant Rex and you might as well get it for free. So go to audible.com slash full mag and pick it up. We're going to talk about a few things from the book today, but mostly a lot of things that add to his story, what he's doing now, and a few things from the book that you might not pick up or whatnot. But anyways, don't worry about any spoilers. Uh, without further ado, I'm just going to jump right into this. Mr. Mike Dowling. No fluff here. You just get right to it. You just, just get to the point, right? <laughs> That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And really, I mean, like this, it's kind of hard not to in this environment. I really wanted to make this as like as low key as possible and as like least intimidating as possible. So. It's kind of got, it kind of has like a little Wayne's World basement kind of feel to it. <laughs> you know, like it's very casual and relaxing and you could just let loose down here. I, you know? I love it, man. I love it. Especially being outside of L.A. now, like yeah. the the whole hustle and bustle of just the atmosphere of L.A. and everything kind of like it's like a uh, very, very like locust effect in a way. And this is like very laid back, like equestrian center and stuff like that. And just kind of like an escape from it all. Right. Absolutely. Right in your own home. Absolutely. And yeah. it, it's not that far away from L.A and everything anyway so nah. um but yeah so like i really want to like you're such an interesting guy like i want to give people an idea of like like before we go into your background like let's talk a little bit about what you got going on now because you've you've done so much stuff between vftla um and now what you're doing with we are the mighty so um maybe let's let's just start from when you got out of the marine corps and 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 when you came to la and and talk about that before we we go into the book and whatnot sure um well i i my orders ended at the end of 2010 um in the marine corps so i was active duty from 2001 to 2005 and then i was out for three years and then i was mobilized out of the what's called inactive ready to reserve and um Went to go uh, work from 2008 to the end of 2010 and uh, moved to Los Angeles um, to start studying and working in the entertainment industry. And um, so I've been here since that time. And and uh, I, where do you want me to go from there? No, it's no, just... that's that, that's it. I mean, like what what really like like what drove you in the entertainment industry? Is it like do you like have like is it like some kind of passion project or something that you like maybe want to like a, a documentary that you want to like? produce or you want to make or you know as far as an actor's concerned do you like are there specific roles and stuff that you you kind of sure. want to do so working in entertainment is something i've always dreamed of doing and i have these when i have a desire i, I gotta i have to try it i have to do it i have to get it out of my system uh and apply myself towards it otherwise i'm always going to regret i, I don't want to have any regrets in my life you know and that's okay. part of the reason why i joined the marine corps i always wanted to do it since i was a kid and uh I eventually said, screw it, I'm gonna do it, and dropped everything and joined. Um, 
Well, and in high school, I played sports. I was an athlete, but I, I, my body was fragile for some reason. I got injured all the time, and eventually got to the point to where I really couldn't play anymore. And I needed to fulfill. I needed to keep doing something and keep busy. So I started acting. I got into yeah. drama, and um, I actually really liked it. Um, but after high school, I never did anything with it. And then here we are, years later. And my last duty station in the Marine Corps was to help. Um, was to support the wounded warriors at Balboa Hospital in San Diego. Yeah. So I did all kinds of things for them. I basically just did everything for them so that all they had to do was focus on was getting better, just healing and going to their appointments. Um, and I also helped with their transition plans so to make sure that they had a successful plan when they got home uh, to integrate back into civilian life. And one of the Marines I was taking care of, he wanted to work in entertainment. He said, I've been healing for the last two years. I've been watching movies this whole time, and I want to go write movies and direct movies. And I said, Matt, wow, me too. One of the Marines I worked with, he also wanted to work in it. And it just kind of uh, lit that flame back up yeah. that I had years ago about always wanting to get into entertainment. So what I did was to see if my passion, if I was still passionate about it, I... Uh, uh, in my off time while at the in the Marine Corps, I, I took private acting classes in San Diego just to see if it was something that interested me still. And it and it did. And it was um, it, it did still fulfill that passion that I had for it. So I got out and I said, I want to go do this. This is something I want to go do. So and that's how I ended up in L.A. And uh, I had a lot of job offers at leaving the hospital with nonprofits that support veterans and, and specifically wounded warriors sure. uh, and lots of opportunities in that area. But I figured I could still do that while also pursuing another passion of mine. So yeah, and that's and 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 I enrolled in UCLA's extension courses. Started using my GI Bill, and it was off to the races. Oh, that's great! It's such a it's such a like huge animal to try to attack the entertainment industry in general. Yeah, I mean, like it, it's 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 a weird like kind of paradigm shift that we've gone through and with social media and everything where people can kind of like create their own stuff on YouTube and stuff. And arguably I wouldn't be in a position I'm at now if the entertainment industry wasn't as frustrating as it is where you, you constantly as a creative person have to ask people for permission to do what you want to do. Right. And, and ultimately the whole reason why I started doing YouTube videos was just to vent creatively while I wait for permission from these casting directors or whoever to let me do what it is I want to do. Yeah. And so is that kind of the, the inspiration for like VFTLA or? Well, no, VFTLA, the inspiration for that was, again, one of my responsibilities when working with the Wounded Warriors was helping with transition plans and just supporting them during that transition period. And the ones that were successful, and by that what I mean is the ones that were that did okay when they got out and continued on with their life um they stayed involved in the veteran community they stayed connected in mm -hmm. some capacity they didn't isolate themselves they were involved with other vets or just involved in their community period and um and the ones that didn't do well were the ones that did isolate themselves and didn't really talk to anybody anymore and um some of them didn't do so well that they ended up losing their struggle with you know, mental health issues that they had sure. going on. So when I got out, um, I wanted personally to stay involved in the community uh, just for my own health. You know, I, I didn't want to leave the veteran community again like I did when I first got off of active duty. Yeah. So when I got to L.A., immediately enrolled in the VA system. Uh, I got involved with some VSOs, veteran service organizations, mm -hmm. right away, and, um, and just stayed involved. And, 
it's not that I needed it. I just wanted to be part of it because what I, what I realized is that if you're a veteran and you just are still involved, you might put yourself in a position to where a veteran that, that does need support, that does need help, uh, might connect to you in some way and find that strength in you to help pull them through whatever they're going through. Yeah. And what I found is that that happens pretty often is that veterans that are reaching out will find other veterans that they connect with through other organizations, other events, or other some kind of social community. So it's just a matter of staying involved. So with VFT, I started when I started working in entertainment and going to school. Oh, let's like, explain what, what VFT stands for and everything. Veterans in Film and Television. Yeah. V, yeah. Um, I just I wanted to meet other veterans in entertainment when I got here, and I did start meeting veterans. But what I realized was that there was no centralized networking group or support group for veterans that worked in the industry there were veteran-owned production companies um you know and and they all had their own kind of clicks per se yeah but there was no one collaborative primary source of that veterans can go to and feel supported and so uh i teamed up with a veteran friend of mine uh, kyle hesman stokes who's an army vet he went to usc film school and the two of us um put the framework together to just have a, a support group essentially we were happy if we just had 25 or 30 veterans show up and we ended up having about 100 130 veterans show up at, to our first event wow that yeah i mean it's 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 pretty impressive like the the group that you guys have now I mean, thanks it's, yeah it's, so it's, yeah and our so our first event was february 2012 and um we invite guest speakers to come out and we didn't just want it to be a, a bunch of vets in a room just kind of passing out resumes and, and yeah. introduce we wanted to provide a lot of value um even though that's value in itself we wanted to have professionals that have experience that veterans can ask questions about to hopefully learn and advance their own careers in some capacity so um each event we would invite a special guest and we've had a-list directors producers actors um all kinds of executives that have come out and, and, and spoke. And then eventually we had HR reps from companies. And, and what happened was uh, Hollywood, thankfully, is becoming more veteran friendly, which means a lot of companies are actually hiring or looking to support the veteran community in some way. Yeah. And so um, th the more they started finding out about VFT, they would start sending the representatives to our events. And then, you know, word starts spreading quickly that way. So we went from just that first couple, that first event to almost to over 1800 veterans wow. in, th in three years and and um you know we never thought it'd, it'd grow or have any kind of impact in that it's having now where vets are getting hired on studio productions getting hired at companies uh advancing their knowledge in certain fields you know red camera yeah they they they, they donate classes to educate veterans within our group um about their cameras and uh we have you know intro to improv classes that are given oh nice oh the writers guild and again the, the guilds the unions they're all very supportive as well and um i don't know i think there's just a lot of opportunities being generated yeah it's 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 quite inspiring to see like how many production companies to directors producers everyone like they're like in the past they would be like oh we need a specific look for a lot of roles or whatever it is that they're casting for. And now I see you have like your Michael Bay's and John Favreau's and everybody who are just like, no, we want military personnel, like active duty or, yeah. or retired. Yeah. Uh, and we, we want to hire them on the productions. We don't want extras that 
you know, they just did some random thing growing up and they don't know how to present themselves yeah. in an appropriate manner in a specific situation. So. Well, the good thing is, you know, we have VFT is, is veterans that work in all areas of the industry above the line, below the line, which means, you know, yeah. the creative actors, writers, directors, and, and also the camera and uh, crew. And, and, uh, but we also have veterans that are just looking to work from a business side as agents or managers. Um, they're all there. So whenever a company comes to us, it's like, you know, chances are we're, we're going to have veterans that fulfill what you're looking for. And um, so Judd Apatow has been fantastic. Uh, he's been um, interviewing and hiring veterans. Uh, Clint Eastwood, when they did American Sniper, they sent out, a, uh, uh, they auditioned several of the vets. Um, uh, Angley, he's, he's auditioning veterans for his film. And, and, um, and that's just acting side. And then NBC Universal, um, uh, Paramount Studios, and, and, you know, they've all been finding ways to, ha to to learn more about veterans and the community and find ways to integrate them into some kind of capacity or opportunity with them. Yeah, and I think that's uh, really interesting, too, that um, I, I went there with, like, kind of expectations of seeing a bunch of um, veterans looking to be actors and, right. and films. Like, when I look to see, like, all the different positions that they were looking to fill from cinematographers to grips uh, like every every aspect of the entertainment industry so yeah i think i even tweeted you out i was like jesus i like I, I had no idea it's it's this this expansive i mean it's really it's really like impressive and inspiring to see well like, you know we, again we didn't realize we didn't never expected it to kind of grow to where it's at today honestly we just wanted it to be a networking supportive group of veterans in the industry but um, because the industry has become so veteran friendly, they're looking, they want to come and, and find veterans for their opportunities. So what we realized was we needed to put our membership online um, so that they can s scroll through the members and sure. bring anyone in for interviews. So if you're a veteran and you, and by the way, you have to qualify yourself yeah, that's as what a was member, about you, not, yeah. you have to provide a DD-214 to yeah. show that you served. And then once you're approved, you, you can create a, for free a profile, a professional profile where you can put all your bio, your reels, your headshots, unlimited videos, unlimited headshots, uh, all your social media links into this one. And you can use that link to send to people to promote yourself. And really that capability, like if for any other casting website, that costs a lot of money so per picture, money. per video, everything that you put up just to sign up, it costs a lot of money. So we wanted to make it as easy as possible for veterans to find a foot into this industry and also for the Hollywood to connect with them. So on each profile, um, if you want to, if you're scrolling through the members, you can message them individually saying, Hey, I like your resume. I like, you know, I want to bring you in for an interview and audition, whatever it is. And that whole process is free on both sides. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very like, like for me to look at that, I'm just like, I, I don't know. I'm like not anti-establishment. It's just yeah. as as and an actor and everything. When I when I moved to L.A., I found out very fast how many predatorial businesses existed just to suck the money out of aspiring actors or whatever field. And so that's one reason why I started programming. I actually I'm not going to name any names of any companies. Sure, but. Um, I started creating apps uh, right when iOS and the dev kits came out um, just so I could offer something for a really, really, really low price to actors as a tool to check casting notices and stuff like that. Um, and 
what I did was I, I used the API uh, uh, to, to scrape mm-hmm. different casting websites. And this wasn't technically illegal because to be able to pull from the website, um, you had to log in with your username and password. So I wasn't taking anything from the 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 services. You still had to be a member, right. but they didn't they didn't have uh, applications for their phone or for Android or iOS. And I got a cease and desist from one of the companies, and I was like, dude, look, I'm trying to provide something right. to actors and actresses. Who get taken advantage of every that, single that day? And like and and and, and, and have I like, to pay for everything, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. And I'm like, I'm not taking anything away from you. They still have to pay for your your subscription service and right. everything. I'm just making it easier for them to read the breakdowns and submit for them. And you know, like this is me talking to him on the phone. He's like, I don't give a damn. He's like, I will sue you until you don't have any more money. <laughs> Take me off of that. Yeah, and. I, you know, I, I talked with my attorneys about it and everything. And, you know, I'm just this broke comedian kid, like struggling and programming on my own, like learning right, how to right, do this stuff myself. Right. They try and, to bully and, you as much as possible. Yeah. And, and to, to protect me, their business. That was that was the moment where I was like, you know what? I, I'm going to keep making these apps. I, like, I made some of the first YouTube uh, apps for mm-hmm. creators and stuff like that because you couldn't monetize on the native uh, IO, uh, native YouTube app on right. iOS. iOS. And, um, and so I just wanted to shake the system up on some of this stuff and kind of snowball the, like, the yeah. drive well, it's, people it's to create people like stuff. you that force, uh, cha- that force people to um, create value, more value for their members. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it challenges them to think outside the box. Well, and I wasn't even doing it to generate a profit. I'm, I was doing it as a consumer. And that's, right. that's the thing that I tried to explain to people is like, I, like the, the one thing that really like shows you that I'm just doing it to shake up the system is that I don't do it for profit. I right. do it just well, to that's, throw it out there. And that, you know, a VFT is a 501c3 nonprofit. Yeah. You know, we, I, I've, I've never, I've never been paid for it. Kyle never got paid for it. The only yeah. thing we ever brought in was, uh, per, we had to start charging for events because we have to pay for, uh, parking staff and, yeah. and, and we have a bar tent, we have a bar afterward. Um, and so we started charging just $5 for an event, which barely, if it ever covers the bare minimum needs of what, what we do and anything that's extra, we just put into the, uh, organization's account for future events down the line but neither of us ever made a penny and yet for three years we kind of operated this i mean it's, we've since passed it off to other members yeah. uh, and other leaders within the group because we all have we have our own personal pursuits that we want to do but for just five dollars for an event in which you get to network with up to 150 other veterans that are professionals in the industry plus you get access to an a usually an a-list professional and you can promote your work on screen so that everybody can see you you could pitch for help just the value that comes for only five dollars for one event yeah. uh, is unbelievable. Not to mention the free profile. And yeah, here I'll, sw- I'll switch that, to you know? uh, the uh, the page there if you want to scroll through it. Real yeah, fast, so this so. is uh, you know this is our database of veterans that you can scroll through um, of all kinds of and it's all levels of experience as well. Not just all different veterans that do different jobs, but some have been in the industry for years. Yeah, some of them have amazing credits to their name. But I'll just show you. Uh, 
well, here goes Ricky. Ricky's a good-looking guy here, and <laughs> he's a, he's a Navy vet. He's an actor, uh, and look, here goes his bio um, about who he is. And by the yeah. way, you can put as much as you want here. You have links to his resume, to his personal website, yeah, um, his company website, whatever that is. Uh, he had you can put all your social media, LinkedIn, YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook, your IMDb. And he's got, look at all these videos, holy smokes. Yeah. It's like two, four, six, you know, and if you just click on any one of them, <clears throat> it pops up right there. You can start watching them. And it's an embedded uh, embedded YouTube link. That's great. Uh, and then if you scroll even further, look at all these headshots that he's yeah. got down. <laughs> he's actually yeah. only, only has six, but it pops right up. You can check it out. And again, if you were to put upload any of these to any other kind no, of that's what i was about to say i feel like i feel like we're like like i i don't want it to come across to the the listeners that like this is like just a, a promotion or something it's just that i'm like i'm so impressed with that you offer all of this like for free on both ends of the equation because i'm so used to seeing people getting taken advantage of and that's why i kind of was like i was like yeah good on you for for doing this and it's like it's not it's and it, it's not just the service but it's also a very very specific um opportunity that you're you're offering it to you know a, a specific demographic which is great yeah and if you want to get in touch with ricky here or anybody you just click on this get in touch with ricky and it goes to a separate page where you can't see his information but you can send a message to him and yeah when you send it it goes to his personal contact and he can and he can respond choose however to, he yeah. likes you know um and and again we operate on donations for the for the website to stay up for the events to continue for programs to, and staff to be hired um but it was we never intended i ne when i moved to la i never intended to create a vft yeah that was never in my mind it was just more of um there has to be some kind of support structure set up and thankfully the veterans within the industry you know the only reason why vft really exists to where it is today is because the veterans that are that our members have created it to what it is yeah. today. They're the ones who offer each other opportunities. They're the ones who bring opportunities uh, and support to each other. And as more of the vets do that for and so help each other out, the more it grows and the yeah. more people get out of it. So, well, I'll be honest. I, I, I can't think of any, any kind of collective group of like-minded individuals in, at any capacity. And God, I, I, I cringe as I say this, but so please, everybody, don't, 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 don't <laughs> quote me. Everybody's yeah. gonna be Richard said this, but like, the the veteran community is is like no other. Like, they they can influence and drive and do, like, I, I feel so bad saying this, and please don't take this the wrong way, but like, like, the, what are they called? Like tweens? Like the like the Justin Bieber like. The believers, like, yeah, or whatever. The right. like the like the, the that that they they are that powerful. They're right, like right. you know, or they, actually they're way more powerful. Let's say right. they're way more powerful right. because they they can influence change with money. They can influence change with just their collective like their the emails, phone calls, showing up. I mean, it's like there's there's no other demographic or collective group of people that I I know of in 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 the country that really has that kind of presence like the veteran community yeah and it's it's uh, and we appreciate that you know because at least i personally feel su supported by uh the nation the community you know yeah we're such a small demographic i mean only what was it like less than one percent actually serves yeah. i guess and 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 um uh, and that seems very small, but 
we're very tight, we're very close, and there's a lot of respect for our community uh, in terms of that, you know, we have a voice, mm -hmm. especially if we band together, you know, <laughs> because, you know, VFT hasn't been easy. It's been around and it's grown a lot, but there's a lot of strong egos and opinions and, oh, yeah. and, and not just within the veteran community, but of course, within Hollywood itself. Sure. Um, and, and, you know, you have two guys, myself and Kyle, uh, who are re new to the industry. We don't have the long credit list like some others might have, but we had the drive and motivation to want to help uh, our own, you know, and um, and it's because of that, and you know, and I think others see that intention. They see that it's just a philanthropic, uh, you know, something where you, you get out of it of what you give into it kind of uh, situation. And thankfully, we've had really amazing leaders that are veterans within the organization step up and help create, you know, the the, the example of, of how to conduct yourself as a professional and how to be one within the community, both in Hollywood and within the veteran community. So I'm proud of it. I'm happy for it. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm starting to veer off to where I'm doing my own personal stuff now. And yeah, because I've, I've poured in, I've donated you know, three years of my life into this thing just to yeah. keep it going without yeah. getting paid for it. I've had, a, I've been getting paid through uh, the GI Bill, going to school, and other personal ventures that I do. Yeah, and now you, know? you now you yeah. got now you got a light bill to pay for. Yeah, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's in great hands, you know. Yeah. And uh, whether me and Kyle are involved at this point from here on out, I think people recognize the value in it, and sure. we'll continue. We'll make sure it continues on. So. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, for those of you listening in, this is uh, this is one of those weird uh, conversations where it's like I know you you might be a little apprehensive about um, listening. I I assure you, uh, I'll go ahead and preface this that there's like there might be a few spoil alerts in this, uh, you know, spoiler alerts, but it doesn't matter. I promise <laughs> you, like you reading reading the book is just it's 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 its own like it like for me i binge on just about everything like it, like i actually i i 100 not lying here like i i got your book off of audible after we we had talked about it and he's like uh you know um uh mac mac uh, yeah Who's Mac? Uh, uh, from like he hosted future weapons oh, and, oh yeah. yeah yeah uh so i uh, i was telling him i was like it's like, dude, you gotta, you gotta do like, you gotta record your your show, uh, and and don't just do it live because like I want to listen to this stuff because right. like that's like the on demand stuff. I spend so much time in my truck. I I I did like, I think it was close to seventy two hours in like three months. Oh my god. Of of Audible like, uh, that you books. consumed. Yes. Yeah. And and from Game of Thrones to your book, I, there was um. Uh, I mean, just a, a dozen of them. I just like just ripped through, and and so if you do hear a few things in here, I promise you guys that you're still gonna enjoy the book, and hopefully uh -huh. you'll 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 know a little bit more about Mike going into the book, so it sucks you in that much faster. Um, and, and so that's why I wanted to start with the 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 VFT stuff to give people an idea of like like you know that that's a very selfless thing to do, you know, like in, in starting that non -for, not for profit and everything. And um, and so let's let's just start with your background because that that's like uh, this this is like <laughs> this is like really what hooked me into the book yeah. was was like like where you grew up and yeah, it's, it's just tell yeah. everyone like where you grew up and sure yeah. uh, 
I feel like I've lived kind of several lives yeah. already at this point. Um, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm from a city called Richmond. It's just north of Berkeley. I usually just say I'm from Berkeley, California, because that's where I spent most of my time growing up. And um, I'm the fourth of six kids. My dad is from Ireland. Like, he grew up in Ireland and, and came here to raise a family. My mom is from Los Angeles. She's Mexican-Indian, and, um, and they raised us up in Northern California. And... Um, one of my very good friends joined the Marine Corps out of high school and I, it, it, I had thought about it, but didn't pull the trigger like he did. I actually went to school for a little bit first, but I re the whole time I was at school, I was regretting not joining the Marine Corps, um, because he would come visit me, uh, w after he got stationed in San Diego, he would drive up and, and come up for the weekend and, and with his buddies and tell me all the fun that they're having because this is pre 9-11 yeah and i just felt like i made the wrong decision i left school uh eventually and um and i packed up everything i didn't talk to anybody i just went right into the marine corps recruiter's office and said get me out of here i'm ready to get on the next bus you know why, why the marine corps though that's the one thing that i always like to i always like to ask people because you know, the 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 kind of rivalry between different branches of service and uh you know just everyone likes to poke fun of the the other and everything but yeah. what what was the big like draw for you for the marine corps well i felt like all the signs pointed me into the marine corps one when um my old my two older brothers were heavily recruited by the military and the marines and i remember they were called the house and and um, I, I love their uniforms, the dress blues. <laughs> I love their uniforms yeah. so much, right? Yeah. Um, but then my friend, all he would talk about is the Marine Corps because he was so excited to join. And it, so that's really, I had most exposure to the Marine Corps than any other branch, just mainly through my friend who talked about it all the time. And then when I went to go research and I would just always hear that they're the toughest boot camp, you know, the most disciplined and um, I just decided that if I was going to do the military, I wanted to go all out uh, in the sense that I wanted to join the branch in which I felt like I was challenged the most. Sure. And um, so that's why. Yeah. Now you you have a, a this, is so, this is so cool. I love I love talking about this because you're like you have like arguably the best story <laughs> the best like i know like like i have i have friends who went into recruiters and they were given a ride and everything yeah. like but you went into your recruiter and came out smelling like a rose <laughs> dude well it you, didn't seem like it at first you could have you could have like you could have like been just ah so tell tell everyone about like your whole like your whole MOS and everything. How I ended up. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, well, I joined the Marine Corps right after I turned 22. You know, which is a little bit older than most. Most go 18, 19, 20 years old. Uh, and I, I went in when I was 22. So if I would have went in when I was 18, 19, I wanted I would have wanted infantry all the way. You know, the hardcore lifestyle. But because I went in 22, I didn't know if I wanted to make the military career or not. So I was open to other jobs in the military other than infantry because if I had gotten out of the military four years later or eight years or whatever, I wanted to apply whatever skills I had to a you know uh, to a field to a career you know because sure. infantry you know you could be law enforcement or security there's really not much else at least that's what I was told at the time. So um, I got my job was communications mm -hmm. right. And I got it guaranteed, which means when I finish boot camp, I'm guaranteed to go to that school. And I signed up in the spring of 2001, and I was supposed to leave in October 2001. But 
uh, in August, uh, one of the recruits or pulleys, whatever you want to call it, he backed out at the last second. My recruiter called me and said, hey, I have an open spot. Do you want to go earlier? And I said, yeah, of course, I'm ready to go. So um, the next day I was on, I, I, I got sent down to, the, to uh, MEPS, which processes you to go to boot camp. And, and I was the last to get processed. And we were late to get on the plane to get out of there to go to boot camp. And he said, what's your job? And I said, it was communication. And he said, actually, you don't have it. I said, yeah, I got it guaranteed, uh, which means they can't change it on you. And he yeah. says, yeah, you're right. You have it guaranteed for when you leave in October when you were originally supposed to leave. Yeah. But because you're leaving early, it's not, it's void. You're not guaranteed anything. Oh, and, and not only is it not guaranteed, but it's closed out, which means even if you wanted it right now, it's filled. It's filled. Yeah. And, and I was, oh my God, like how you couldn't, I can't express how mad I was because I just felt like my recruiter just screwed me. Right. Like all the rumors of recruiters screwing you over, just, it all came true for me right at that moment. Um, and he said, I had three options because we were running late. He said, you can sit here and choose through this entire list of MOSs to get a job. Uh, but we don't have time to do that. So really you can either go in on an open contract which means the Marine Corps will choose the job for you, which is the worst thing <laughs> you can choose because you could become, uh, you know, a cook or a sanitary engineer, yeah, whatever they call yeah, it. Yeah. And those are jobs that a, a lot of people don't want, you know, yeah. which, by the way, there's nothing wrong. Nothing wrong with being it. a cook at all. Yeah. I'm just saying you can scrape paint and be happy. Right. But if, uh, you know, they they can throw you in, in the jobs that most people don't choose. Right. right. And um, uh or I cannot get on the plane, go back home and wait a couple months and leave in October and get my guaranteed job. But I was motivated, man. I was ready to go. I was told everyone that I was leaving. And, um, and, and I was, I'm sitting there thinking, what should I do? What should I do? Uh, and he's pressuring me to hurry up and make a decision. And he says, listen, I'm looking at your, uh, your scores, like your ASVAB scores. You know, everyone takes a, a yeah. Um, a score when they joined to see what they would be good at and and he says you scored really really well so if you go in on an open contract usually the marine corps doesn't want to waste a good recruit on a bad job or you know what i mean of course he that's what says he says that, that. of course he, goes, he says so they might that. give you something that you know is really great but yeah. um but you can still end up as whatever they want you to do yeah and i don't know what it was i just had faith in that moment of saying you know what i'm here for a reason i've been wanting to do this for so long here it is right now screw it let's let's do it open contract and i went and that's what so which means all throughout boot camp i had no idea what my job was going to be in the marine corps they don't tell you until the end of uh mct marine combat training so Mm -hmm. you graduate boot camp they still don't tell you and then they send you to an extra like basic infantry school but what i didn't know was um when I got sent to that, if you're going to be infantry, you go to school of infantry. If you're going to be any other job besides infantry, you go to Marine combat training. And that's where I went. So I knew I wasn't going to be infantry. Yeah. Um, and then they told me, but, but here's the crazy part while I was in boot camp, So I left in August, early August, 2001, nine 11 happened yeah. a month later Yeah. while I was in boot camp. Well, which by the way, I was actually really happy to be in Marine Corps boot camp at that time of because course. I felt like, yeah. What, well, if we're going to do this, I want to be here, yeah, you know, yeah, like absolutely. I, I want to train to go, you know, um, defend and get some payback, all that stuff. So um, and I thought I was going to be infantry, which, to be honest with you, I was totally OK with that. And uh, 
but I didn't. So then I go to MCT and they give me military police, which I never thought about being an MP. Um, um, and I knew that there, there was a lot of other jobs that I didn't want that it could have been a lot worse than MP, right? But oh, absolutely. So, but it turns out one of my good friends uh, was going to go to MP school. So I was really happy about that. So I was actually really excited that I got a job that I thought was, wasn't too bad at all, you know, plus I had a good friend. And then when I go to MP school, they tell you all the different uh, career avenues you can go. And one of them is canine, military dogs. Yeah. And I had no idea that the military even had dogs. Right. right? Didn't they just reboot the program, though? Like, no, no. They always had the program. They just rebooted a lot of war combat pro war dog programs. Um, well, actually started new ones, really, after yeah. 9-11. Okay. But they still had your standard military working dog, military police men and women. You right. Know? right, right, right. And um, so as soon as I heard that, I, that's what I wanted because my whole life uh, – my f i've had dogs my whole life at least two minimum sometimes three or even four and my family would train and foster guide dogs for the blind when i was young and i was i loved doing that you know yeah. my sister had started uh doing that she did that for years uh i went to the a lot of the meetings with her um plus down the road from where i grew up is this dog park called Point Isabel, which sits on the San Francisco Bay, and it's, it's gorgeous. Like, yeah, that's, that's actually a really popular like, it's dog park. It's incredibly popular. There's yeah. like hundreds of dogs yeah. there every weekend, and it's picturesque, you know, and I would just go there all the time with our, with our dogs. So I had already had a, a, a big affinity towards the animal. Sure. And, um, and I thought, how great would that be to have a dog during my time in the Marine Corps? Yeah. Uh, and then come to find out that it's incredibly hard to get a canine spot. So in a, in, in a regular military police class of like 60 plus students, only two slots are allotted for canine. Wow. And more than half the class wants those slots. Absolutely. Um, so I worked my butt off, man. And, um, and I, I, was the, I, I graduated the top of my class. I, want, I wanted canine so bad that I wanted to ensure that I was going to get it by outworking everybody. And I did. Um, I was the honor grad, and I got canine, and and um, and I was really happy about that. Yeah, that's great. Crazy, that's great. Right? That, that's the that's arguably the best story I've ever heard anybody who's ever had an open contract have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's what's crazy? Here's the, here's the crazy part of, about this actually. So during that time, a lot of people that signed up to become MPs. Mm -hmm. You, when you sign up for a job, you sign up for a field, not a specific job, and right. you hope to get the job that's within that field, right? So if you want to be an MP in the Marine Corps, you sign up for the security field. Well, that also includes being a, a guard at a brig as well as other jobs, yeah. right? And uh, so I knew guys that wanted to be an MP and sign up for security field ended up being a brig guard yeah. and a bunch of open contracts for some reason ended up being MPs. So if I even – if I knew about canine – and wanted to be an MP so I can get it and sign up for it, there was a good chance if I had done that, I would have ended up being a brig guard instead. Wow. So it's a good thing I didn't know about K-9. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and then I got it, and I got stationed at Camp Pendleton, and it was off to work, and they were they were amazing, the unit that I was with there. Yeah. Now, that that whole process is a little, like, so the way, the way I like to, to kind of, like, tell guests is just think that, you know, the – I might have some prior knowledge on a lot of this stuff, but chances are uh, the bulk majority of the people that uh, maybe listen to this don't have any knowledge. So yeah. um, as far as the, 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 the type of training, 
that you have to go through in the selection process for for that how does that differ from anything else that you would you might go through like obedience training with right. your your labrador or something like that like you like w w how was that how was that any different once you went into the program at pendleton well uh you know first you go to handler's course to learn how to be a basic to learn how to handle a military working dog and you and you graduate a base a basic working dog handler's course and, and while you're there you know they teach you um just how amazing these animals are and i can you know working with dogs my whole life growing up i already knew that dogs were incredibly intelligent and athletic and 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 um all those things well once i saw the military dogs it, was, <laughs> it took it to a whole new level you yeah. really don't know i, I kind of relate these dogs in this in to the uh, to uh, athletes growing up like you know you have high school athletes and then you have the athletes that are division one capable of getting scholarships and whatnot sure. right and then out of those D1 athletes, only a very tiny percentage actually make the pros. Right. So with military dogs, they start off with litters of like D1 athlete puppies. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they are bred specifically for these working purposes. And then uh, a large majority of them get washed out and only a very small percentage actually become a professional military working dog. And they go through a rigorous process. And these are the most these are the most intelligent athletic amazing dogs yeah in the world you know and it's an honor to handle any one of them yeah because uh there's not many like them you know yeah at, at all so uh it's really tough they're, they're really you know you, they tell you how much they say at the end of the military dogs training they're worth anywhere up to fifty thousand dollars yeah well the training because, of, because like all the training expensive. that yeah. goes into them and all the health and everything and uh, and you are responsible for that fifty thousand um, dollar, well, animal at this point. You yeah. know, like you're responsible for their life, their health, to take their training to the to maximize their abilities. And uh, it's very it's a very uh, highly responsible position. You know. Yeah. And so when I got stationed at Camp Pendleton, the unit there, they were very good at what they did. They had extremely well trained dogs. And they didn't take it easy on the new handlers. They wanted to make sure that you were going to take the time and effort that's needed to um, uh, to make your dog, you know, the best that, that it can be. Because there's a the greatest uh, asset that you can have as a handler is patience. You yeah. need a lot of patience uh, when it comes to training and working with dogs, um, because you do a lot of repetitive stuff um, to get the dog to do what it needs to do, and. Um, uh, you know, well, yeah, just because you make it into the 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 program doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be working right with the dog, right? right. So right. so a lot of people think that oh well you 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 make it to the program great no like you don't that doesn't necessarily ensure that you're gonna you're actually gonna you still have to go through your your handlers course and everything and if they don't see a fit you you can well, when you make it to the canine unit if they don't think that you have the the patience the drive you know if you're responsible enough they could just send you back to the mp platoons and not give you yeah. a dog you know yeah so uh and, and trust me you want to be a dog handler <laughs> like if you want a dog it's completely <laughs> different than being a regular mp dude you, I, I love it i love that's one of the things that i, I loved about your book was um you make that very clear yeah. you make that very clear like uh how how the the let's say the 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 marine corps accommodations you know like 
or a little more a little more <laughs> yeah. appealing to those yeah. uh, that the, you know, the military working dog handlers and we stuff get like all that. the AC, we get all the equipment. <laughs> well, we don't get all the equipment, but we get more, especially in the Marine Corps. Um, it, it's it's it, when compared to an MP, just a regular MP. Which, by the way, those the MPs, the ones, some of them just want to be an MP, and that's completely okay. Absolutely, they do really great jobs. Um, but if you want to be with a dog and you have the option, you definitely want a dog because it's just so much fun having a dog with you the whole yeah. time. There is some, a lot of times they're unpredictable yeah. and they do really great things to lighten your mood, your mood and all that. But it's always nice to have a partner watching your back at the same time. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. So what, what, like explain the, uh, the whole process there, like, um, because now a lot of people are familiar with the, the Belgian owls, yeah. um, because they, they've kind of taken the, the, the poster, uh, for the quintessential uh, yeah. military working dog and everything. Yeah. So you were like, like, what was the process, uh, for you and like meeting Rex for the first time and, and, and everything? Well, that's a story within itself because, um, the canine unit that I got assigned to Camp Pendleton, they, I loved them. I loved how disciplined they were and, and um, how good of, a, of trainers they were. They were amazing. All of them yeah. were amazing ha handlers and dog trainers. And I learned every day. I learned so much from those guys and gals in that unit because they really took ha canine handling serious. serious. The problem was uh, they made some mistakes that was that the N ncis naval the investigation unit found out about yeah and ncis started an undercover investigation of the camp pendleton canine unit back in 2002 yeah and eventually arrested every canine handler including myself in that unit and yeah. there was about I think, 20 or 21 of us at the time and i was what you call the most boot handler so i was the most brand new yeah, right and i didn't have a dog and uh, so, basically, I'm not going to get into the details no, no, of no, what you happened. Yeah. And to be honest with you, as the boot handler, I didn't really even know what you, happened. You explain it more thoroughly in yeah, the book. Yeah, I, I mean, I heard rumors of stuff and, and things, but people would say, don't ask because, you know, you don't You don't want to know. Right, you and I just realized, I don't yeah. know what's going on, but I'm just going to just focus on what I can do. So anyways, um, when I got interrogated by NCIS, they realized that I didn't know anything and I told whatever I could and um, they let me go. And they said, hey, we need you to write a written statement. And uh, I said, well, you know, what's going to happen to me? They're like, we don't know. You might get kicked out of canine. Who knows? Right. So now here I am, like writing a high of getting it. the best job that I could possibly get as being canine, yeah. getting stationed at a unit that I love being a part of and I'm learning so much. And then all of a sudden I'm getting told that I might be getting kicked out of canine without ever handling a dog. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um. And so I said, well, can I go take a break before I write this statement? And they said, okay, you know what? We got to interrogate all these other handlers. So go back to the barracks and we'll call you back in. And they never called me back in. But our commanding officer was so embarrassed and so upset that an entire unit under his command had been arrested. He wanted to make an example of us. And he wanted to, yeah. he wanted to throw, he wanted to hammer us um, discipline wise. So, all the non-NCOs, so all the lower ranking, which there's about nine or ten of us, we all got what's called NJP, non-judicial punishment, which means instead of a court-martial, we just stood, stood tall in front of our commanding officer, and he decided if we were guilty, and, and that's the process, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, when it was my turn to stand in front of him, he, he, was, he wanted to find me guilty on um, 
conduct on becoming a Marine because he said that I knew about things going on and didn't report it. Uh, and he also said that I falsified government documents because they tried to claim that our unit was falsifying documents when it came to training so that we didn't have to go train. We just said that we trained, but that's yeah. ridiculous. No one, there's no reason why any canine unit would do that unless they're extremely lazy, which by the way, their dogs were like the best. So the yeah. only way you can get like that is if you train all the time, Yeah. you know? Yeah. Anyways, um, I said I was not, he said, how do you plead? I said, not guilty. And he was really upset. He wanted to find everyone guilty, which by the way, he did. I was like the only one who was exonerated of all my charges and and um which and the way that happened was he was questioning me and i was giving the answers and at the very end he said you know what dowling um i I'm, I'm inclined to actually believe everything that you're saying but i feel like you along with everyone else in that unit is lying and the reason why i i know that you're lying is because it says right here you didn't sign a written statement when they asked you to oh geez right yeah well when I got interrogated, they told me that I had a camera that was recording the conversation the whole time. Right? Oh. And I said, well, I'm glad you brought that up, sir. He said, because he said, unless you can explain that, I have no other, I can't, you know, I have no other choice but to find you guilty because it says that you're hiding something. And so I said, well, sir, they asked me to sign it. And I told them the conversation that took place. I said, I'd be happy to sign it. If I could just go take a break. They said, we'll call you back. They never called me back. If you, uh, want to check what i'm saying i was told that a camera was recording our conversation the entire time so you will see our conversation in which i said that i would be happy to fill it out and that they'll call me back in and that they, that they didn't but you can save all this time because the guy the agent that said that to me is standing witness in this room to these proceedings and can verify everything i just said oh, and he looked over to him right the commanding officer looked over to the agent and the agent did one of these he looked back to him and said which, by the way, my entire career is hinging on yeah. this decision at this point. Absolutely. Right? And the agent looks back at him and he goes, <laughs> he just nods his head like he's telling the truth, you yeah. know? Yeah. And so my commanding officer, sir, my, my commanding officer was like, um, uh, you're exonerated. Like, I can't pinpoint anything on you and go back to the kennels and go take it. Well, back to your original question how i met rex yeah uh so when i went back to the kennels it turned out that all the handlers were found guilty to some level mm -hmm. right and uh all of them were kicked out of canine except for like two others right they got their s sentences suspended and were allowed to come back mm -hmm. um so it was myself and like two others back at the kennels taking care of all these amazing dogs so just like that all of my friends and and fellow marines in the unit are gone i don't i can't learn from them anymore right and i took solace in the fact that well at least i could probably have my pick of the litter of all these amazing <laughs> dogs now right and handle these amazing handle one of these incredible dogs yeah. who i've been watching since i got there and well um the military flew out an evaluator to evaluate those dogs to see if they were still serviceable and he made the conclusion that they weren't all 20 of the dogs, which was complete BS. I mean, these dogs were amazing, right? There's yeah. no reason to find all of them not serviceable anymore. So they decertified them, said that they can't work in the military anymore, and they went back to training school to be training dogs. They sent them they to Lackland for that? Lackland, yeah. yeah, Air Force Base, which is yeah. where all the training goes on. Or they got adopted out. 
And um, so here I am, no more handlers, no more dogs. I was so unmotivated at that point in my Marine Corps career because I just saw all my buddies get screwed over. Some of them were guilty, but yeah. the majority had nothing to do with what happened. Um, so they were gone, the dogs were gone, and now it's like, man, what's going on? Like, just overnight. Uh, well, now that the dogs are gone, well, now we need to rebuild the kennels. So the first two dogs, two dogs that they sent out were Rex and a dog named Robbie. And um, so the new kennel master came in and um, he assigned me to Rex and another handler to Robbie and we went to work. And so that's how I met Rex. Yeah. Yeah. X Echo 168 is his tattoo number. And um, Rex was gorgeous. He was a beautiful G German Shepherd. And the very first day I went into his kennel, he attacked me. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> it was great. He, uh, he, in his record book, it says aggressive all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. And um, really, it's not that he's aggressive. It's, it's more of that he's just very stubborn. Yeah. And he's got a, for a dog, he has an ego. He's got pride. Yeah. And you need to earn his respect. Yeah. And so when I went in to go put the collar on him for the first time, he, he, had, he bit my hand and started attacking my arm. And so I had to do what's, well, here's the thing. You can never allow him to dominate you because he will never respect you from that moment on. Yeah. So I had to do what's called an alpha roll, which means I grabbed him by his throat, slammed him on his back and mounted myself on top of him and just put my face in his face and was like, no, 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 no. And I actually had to do that a couple times. <laughs> I got up. He kept attacking. Because yeah, he was a fairly big dog, too, right? Yeah, he was like uh, – well, it's not that he was fairly big. Again, it's just not I the mean, size of the dog. It's the size of the absolutely. bite of the dog, right? Absolutely. Rex, I think it was about 70 pounds at that time. And um, he was incredibly squirrely. I mean, this dog will – he can bat – and he was so quick. And, and um, so I had to be very quick. And, and I had to alpha roll, alpha roll him like three times in a row. And he finally got the message. He's like, okay, I'm done. Like, <laughs> I'm done. You win, you know? And then, uh, and he never attacked me again after that point. Really? Yeah. If anything, he was incredibly protective from that point on. Yeah. And um, um, so that was our, that was our very first interaction with each other. That's great. Yeah. Such a good story. Uh, yeah, uh, so like, I guess for a that lot of- a long of, story. No, no, it's great. I, I fucking love it, man. I eat that up. I eat that up. Cause uh, you know, like, I know, cause I really appreciate it. Cause I'm a, a massive- dog lover myself and for those of you uh who have i guess watched me and listened to me over the years um uh, how mike and i met was uh through this thing i was working with uh senator richard blumenthal uh for the yeah. the canine members of the armed forces act right and uh i believe i believe we met through the facebook page that i set up yeah i saw if i remember right correctly you were wearing a shirt that promoted the military dogs yes yes yeah and i don't even remember how i saw your video yeah you know? i mean you're all over the place whatever yeah well no the thing was <laughs> so it's 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 a, it's this weird thing that i've uh this kind of goes back to the the whole website thing where um i i i, I look look to my channel and the stuff that i do as a way to vent creatively and i feel bad if i make money off of it sure and and so i always resisted selling merchandise or trying to like really like m like push things to make money and i always wanted to like uh do y use it in ways that i could help i don't know mm -hmm. shed light on stuff or whatever and i was like uh when i moved to los angeles uh, i couldn't i couldn't have a dog 
and dogs have always been a big part of my life yeah. too. Like I worked with Labradors and, and training bird dogs and stuff as a, as a kid. And I had, uh, a bunch of dogs growing up. I had a, a lab that was, was the smartest dude ever. Uh, I love them. Um, but when I moved out here, it broke my heart because like dogs have always been a really big part of my life and I couldn't, couldn't really do anything, um, about having a dog in my new place. So I started volunteering at the, uh, North Valley animal shelter, which is mm -hmm. like, it's, it's, it's the highest kill rate shelter in the U S I didn't know that's, that. That's uh, crazy. Yeah. yeah. Right here uh, in our backyard. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, reason for it one is the uh income like the 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 poverty line and everything so low in the la area and these 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 areas and whatnot and the two the two primary breeds that come through it are just just typically are from lower income mm -hmm. housing families which are pit bulls which have a stigma attached to them and chihuahuas because mm -hmm. people buy them for superficial reasons and then they end up growing from this teacup thing into an actual dog and they're like right. oh it's not this thing anymore so right. well, they plus were, chihuahuas are aggressive yeah yeah well yeah a lot of people don't realize that dotson's uh, uh jack russell's and chihuahuas are like yeah, are a lot more aggressive super super yeah. aggressive and um and so a lot of the volunteers um they were younger uh women and they couldn't really walk the pit bulls and stuff like that so i wanted to make sure that if i could help um by walking these dogs, get them out of the kennels, uh, make them less, um, like have uh, kennel anxiety. Yeah. Uh, it would make them a little bit more adoptable. Yeah. And, yeah. and so that was kind of my thing. And, um, that's why I uploaded my videos on Mondays because, um, I would upload on Mondays and then Tuesdays I'd, I'd, uh, volunteer. And, um, and so like it, as, as things started picking up, I was working like five jobs too and right. like doing the YouTube stuff. So I was trying to look for other ways that I could try to, in my own way, feel like I was helping, helping out. And, you know, dogs and kids are always like the, the thing for me. It's like, if I can help dogs or kids out, it's like, you know, it's like, it's, it's something that gives you unconditional love Yeah. and there's no strings attached to this love that it's giving you. Yeah, so man, it's amazing. The best therapist is a dog. It, it really is. Yeah. It really is. So that's why, like, I really get behind, like, all these, these, um, these, these dog charities for, uh, be it dogs for troops right. or, um, just whatever. So like, when, when I was talking to, um, Senator Blumenthal's office about the, the canine members, of the armed forces act, I was like, let's figure it out. Tell me what I can do, right. uh, and, and help, like, you know, do is it just an awareness thing? So like in all my videos, I started wearing those shirts. Right. I came up with the hair missile shirt and right. everything. And people always ask, what's that? What's that? And I was like, well, let me tell you, <laughs> let me tell you about the it generated conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, so that was, that was, that was pretty much how and I think I sent you an email saying, Hey, I appreciate you wearing the shirt and, and bringing awareness to it. Yeah. Like yeah. That. And yeah. I mean, for the, for those of you who like might not um, know, you can always go online and Google the canine members, of the armed forces act, but essentially there were a few things in the bill that mm -hmm. were trying to make it. So there was, uh, it was Robbie's law right. was right. Uh, in the, the Clinton administration enacted yep. where um, the, the dogs didn't have to be euthanized when they left the, the uh, military working dog program. Right. You want to, you want to, you want to yeah, explain that? So unfortunately one of the biggest black eyes in the military history is euthanizing military dogs when they didn't have to, or, mm -hmm. and actually at the end of the Vietnam war, when the handlers came back, uh, the majority of all their military dogs stayed over there, which instead of 
letting them bring them home, you know, which was which is incredibly tragic. But even still, after that, all the way up from that time until the year 2000, standard protocol was to essentially euthanize the military dogs when they retired because they felt that they were too much of a liability in the civilian world. You know, they've been trained their whole life to attack, and and so that was what protocol and procedures were, which is re- obviously ridiculous yeah so a handler whose dog name was robbie in the year 2000 fought against that law and um to adopt his dog and president clinton at the time signed it into law saying yes you know what uh handlers uh, military dogs should be adopt allowed to be adopted out if they're suitable um and so since since that law was in place um dog the majority of military dogs have been adopted out and it's been fine you know it's the only time dogs have been euthanized is if they are extremely aggressive or for health reasons like they're suffering from you know terminal illness or something like that um otherwise you know the majority of dogs are adopted have been adopted out since that time yeah and um i guess for for those of you um you can do a little bit of research on it but it's been a really really long process and like just I, I, I can't believe the amount of like resistance that for like people well, have have so the whole reason it. for the bill was, you know, dog. The, the thing is that people say that dogs have been considered equipment, which is yes. why they 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 get treated in a certain way, which is why they could just euthanize. They're not just them. being treated as equipment, but they're 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 literally well, defined as labeled. equipment. Yeah, but not really anymore. Yeah. You know, uh, they, I mean, really, I didn't. It's not that I don't care what you call them, as long as they aren't treated in a certain way. Yeah. As long as they're allowed to be adopted out, all those things, then that's fine. But they're given, you know, they have a tattoo number. Like Rex's was Echo 168, right? And that's essentially their social security number for yeah. a dog. Everything gets labeled on, underneath that number. And um, the big thing was when dogs get retired from a U.S. base overseas, or really anywhere, that the, the, a handler that's adopting them has to pay for the travel expenses to get the the dog flown to them if they if they uh if that's what needs to be happened and that and those bills can be thousands of dollars sometimes i have a good friend who adopted uh her dog from uh italy a u.s base in italy and she was already at home in michigan and she had to pay a couple thousand to transport her dog back right yeah well uh and the reason why is because people say oh well because they're equipment and they can't you know if it's a human being they wouldn't have to pay for all that stuff and that's where the real root of the of the bill is and then also for medical care once they do retire because when a dog retires they have no medical health care the hand whoever adopts them has to pay for all that stuff generally speaking well thankfully there's nonprofits and organizations set up that can provide funds to handlers that qualified to receive them to take care of the dogs and to also fly them out because in the legislation that was written for the canine members of the armed forces back it left a loophole in the sense that uh it said that the government can you know if they want to enact like health care and the traveling yeah that they may um have these organizations pay for it but it doesn't obligate them to do it right so the organization is just step up and do it on their own is yeah. what it is so you, yeah let's let's explain um w- exactly what the the bill was it was to re reclassify them yeah and yeah you just go through it you, you just reclassify the dogs to canine members as opposed to um 
uh, essentially equipment, which, by the way, they did reclassify them. I don't, yeah. I don't remember what the exact term is. I don't even know if it's canine members anymore. It's yeah. just um, – but I know that, like, right now as we speak, they have – they are li- literally changing the terminology in the manual – in the military manuals of how dogs are, are, are called, of, of their names. So it's been successful. It's passed. Yeah, yeah. You know, and um, – they aren't treated or thought of. They never really were thought of as equipment, at least in the handlers. No, eyes, yeah. You know? Well, even like like your your book does a really great job of of, of pointing that out too. Where it's yeah. like it takes all of all of like one mission for people to understand the value and the significance of having a dog, and then the the added benefit down the road is just astronomical of having a canine well, in the unit they've been trying to replicate a dog's capable uh, scent uh, detection capabilities yeah. through machines you just can't do it they just can't do it and they've spent like upwards of a billion dollars in yeah. trying to create uh, technology that can do it and they've gotten really good at it and they have developed some some things that work but at in the very end there's nothing that's better than a dog because a dog can think yeah. they can pick up a scent from a you know far away and 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 take you to it as opposed to a machine where you need to place it in a specific area. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, not to mention the therapeutic effect that having a dog has just having them on deployment. Yeah. You know? It re- reminds people it's a piece of home. It's exactly it. Yeah. 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 So yeah. And, 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 and just to give you guys a, a perspective of that the, the machine that they can pick up like parts per million of a per trillion a, or per trillion some of, them, yeah. uh, of of an explosive right. or uh, any any kind of particle that they can they can right. they can right. s- signify or whatever but in, in w- with a dog a dog can can follow or react in a situation that could lead you to it or where the machine you're having to move and and figure out whether or not the the scent is larger smaller That's right. yeah. and and but, it, it's just like the the amount of money that you spend on on training a dog versus this probably what they've spent on the w- few machines that they have is like just is paid for the program from now until eternity probably right, but not just the detection capabilities you also have the patrol t- capabilities of a dog being able to attack if they need to or defend mm. yourself and also the the psychological deterrent of having a dog with you brings meaning um you know when i was deployed in iraq um there were times where i was in the in the neighborhoods or at a recruiting event for local iraqis to become policemen and they were getting out of hand and getting out of line but they were scared of the dog they were scared of rex and just pulling them out of a vehicle just you know they would um that's funny how we can hear the dog in the background <laughs> talking about. Uh, I don't know if it, the mic can pick that no, up. No, no, it can't. It can't. Uh, that's George. That's George in the background letting us know that yeah, there's a threat. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. Um, but you know, they were bold. They didn't really follow our orders. They didn't care if we had weapons. They knew that we weren't going to shoot them if yeah. they didn't. If they weren't a threat. But once you take out a dog out of the vehicle, you know, yeah, because a dog can bite. Yeah. And um, well, too, they don't they don't they don't treat dogs the same way. Right. And the American Muslim communities. Yeah. Yeah. They it says in the Quran, if I'm if I could be screwing this up, but it says that it's okay. It's only the Internet. (laughs) They'll they'll only let us know if we. it says that dogs are considered like a, a, a beast. Yeah. And you can't house a beast in your home because you won't be protected by 
Allah or the Holy Spirit or whatever it is. Uh, so they don't domesticate their dogs. Um, that doesn't mean that they kill them. They just they're not familiar with them like we are. You yeah. Know? Especially a world class working dog. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. It's it's really. It, I mean, it it is nothing short of amazing to see yeah. those dogs work. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, it's. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, so there there's different there there's different qualifications certifications um like explain that just a little bit like the the like the phases of aggression and yeah and and everything like the the different certifications like so you you'll have like rex is dual certified right, right? And so right right so dual certified means that the dog is certified in both detection and patrol uh work and just be, so when i got stationed camp pendleton if i were to get a dog that doesn't mean where you can just start working as a dog team you have to be certified as a dog team, which means you need to prove that you can work effectively and uh, and that the dog will obey commands. So when it comes to detection, which by the way, they can't make a mistake. A military dog who is certified in detection essentially has, a, they need to have a 99.9% accuracy rate. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when it comes to detecting, you just set up the training aids. You, and it, by the way, it's either narcotics or explosives that they're certified in, but not both. Um, and so Rex was certified in explosives. And then when it comes to patrol work, they need to be able to show that they will obey your commands because the dog is part of the force of continuum of force, you know, from pepper spray and your physical your baton stick to a dog to ultimately lethal force, which is your, your you know, firing your weapon at them uh and the dog sits somewhere in that force the continuum of force um and they're you know they can cause serious body bo body harm you know oh yeah oh, so yeah. they need to prove that they can one attack a suspect if they are uh ordered to but also to release from a suspect when ordered and also if the suspect is running it's called a standoff where the suspect gives up while the dog is in pursuit the, the dog needs to prove that if you call him off in his pursuit that they won't bite and and uh, as well as uh, as you know walking with you and the suspect and and um so again it's a very high uh, standard of, of of being certified and that's why these dogs are just the best you know yeah. the ones that pass all this we uh that's so funny we uh what did we what did we go we went and met with was it the marine corps uh the military liaison yeah who was it yeah oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that i still like think about that story it was so funny so you like uh i, I like just telling these little stories that, sure. that they might not like get out of the book um because to me i think this is just it just proves how badass these dogs are yeah so like tell them tell them about uh i forget the dog's name at uh he was at pendleton and i think you 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 were there with him right uh, no, well, there's multiple occasions. But okay. Basically, are you referring to as a civilian, you can no longer catch yes. a dog? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> when I was in, people who wanted to catch a dog, which means decoy, put on the bite sleeve and pretend to be the bad guy and let the dog bite them, we would let people do that. But now they no longer do that. And the reason why, and I wasn't there for this, but the story right. is there was a news reporter or journalists that went to the kennels to write a story on the dogs and put on the bite sleeve um, to catch the dog. And the dog hit him or her so hard that um, they landed on their face. You know, they got housed is what we see, wh yeah. what we say, meaning the dog hit him so hard that they 
got blasted off their feet and hit the ground hard and this person hit their face so hard that they broke their nose yeah you know and uh and caused injury to this person now but did he snap his arm through the bite sleeve so that's and that's again there's been several incidents i've seen uh people get their shoulders dislocated yeah because they got hit by a dog so hard that it just popped right out you know yeah um and I've seen other dogs release um, from the bite sleeve and go towards other places that weren't covered by protection. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So back in my day, again, we would have civilians put it on, put the bite sleeve on if we wanted them to. And we would have a controlled environment to where they get bit. Um, but because of those one or two or three or ten <laughs> incidents, um, they don't want to risk it anymore. Because yeah. And so they just said no more civilians can get bit. Yeah. At least in the Marine Corps. I think right. in other branches they will yeah. let you. But yeah. I mean, it's really like I love I love hearing that because like some people are like, oh, that's uh, why, why do you like hearing that? Because it just proves how badass these dogs are. And like they and, hit hard and nobody, hard. nobody is nobody in their right mind yeah. is going to go in there with a yeah. bite sleeve yeah. and then get get fucked up yeah, and so then go hey you know what i'm gonna see you guys no you asked for it right and everyone it, it actually just recently as in a couple of weeks ago there's this dog competition competition called the iron dog yeah oh yeah at camp pendleton yeah and an experienced handler who was put on the bite suit to to decoy for the dogs he got knocked out he got hit so hard by Jeez. one of the dogs that he he got knocked unconscious. <laughs> that's crazy. Okay, so that's how, and this is a, an experienced handler. Yeah. So it just goes to show you that um, you don't want to mess with them. I yeah. love it, man. Yeah. I love it. What? Just out of curiosity, you know if it like what what breed it was? I don't actually. I, I don't remember what breed. But here's the thing, you know, Belgian Malinois. A lot of people still don't know what Malinois are. You know, yeah. and they're not a great house pet, by the way. They no can way. be. But generally speaking, they're not because they have so much energy and so drive. Much. They can never sit still. They have to be working, you know, and they'll just tear your place apart. They will tear it apart. Yeah. I have like I have like uh, a, a few friends who um, th who have mouths. And the, the problem that I have, like with 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 owning a mal or right. being an owner of a mal. Right. Let me rephrase that um, is that. It requires so much time of your day because if you're not working that dog, running it, whatever you can, like stimulating its mind, two plus hours a day, it's it's not getting what it needs because those things are like they're like solid muscle balls of energy, and they just want like like the most domesticated one you'll find will still have a ton of energy. Yeah, and, and that's exactly it. I mean, they are those dogs are born they are bred to work yeah and if they don't have a task if you don't give them a lot of attention they're gonna find ways to release that energy you yeah. know and see that, that that's the thing that i like like not to be a, like a debbie downer or anything that's the one of the the kind of concerns that i have with the um the mal being the poster child of like military working dogs sure. now because a lot of people want that right right they're like i want i want that badass dog but you like you don't understand like like i i mean i get it from living in la from seeing the pit bulls and the chihuahuas coming a lot of people don't understand the response how much time and response you're right uh, yeah That's exactly and, and so the big concern for me is that we'd see an influx in breeding 
and in return those and then dogs get going a bad in, rep they get a bad rep or yeah. they end up a lot in the shelters and right. stuff so so that's 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 kind of like always one of those concerns of mine where i try to explain to people you got you got to figure it out like if you're that's a, that's a huge commitment to take one of them on there's a responsibility for the breeder to ensure that whoever's adopt buying them adopt whatever you want to call it yeah knows that this person is vetted and responsible enough to you know to own a dog like that you know what i mean yeah you can't just let anybody buy these dogs yeah so absolutely right. yeah um yeah i like i'm now now i'm kind of now i'm kind of like debating like should we should we even should we even talk about your time in service with with rex i mean we should maybe like let's let's pick like pick like one one or two stories because i want to leave i want to leave as much as i can for the viewer to go in and 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 just really jump into your book because i mean like i, well, I mean it was really immersive thank you and just to give you why i even wrote the book which by the way is called Sar sergeant rex right? yeah well the full title is <laughs> Sergeant Rex, the unbreakable bond between a Marine and his military working dog. It's really yeah. it's like the longest title ever. But yeah. Uh, I like I liked I like the uh the narrator for the for the book. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was good. They, yeah. they chose a good one. Um and I called it Sergeant Rex because as a handler, it's drilled inside of you to always think of your dog as one rank higher of whatever your current rank is. So if I'm a Lance Corporal, my dog is a corporal. If I'm a corporal, my dog is a sergeant. If I'm a so on and so forth, right? So at the time that I was handling Rex, I was a corporal, which means he would be a sergeant. And the reason why you think of him that way is because, um, well, there was actually several backstories to why. But basically, if you were to ever abuse your dog in any way, it'd be like you, you know, assaulting a senior ranking person. Yeah. Or if you'd ever to mistreat them in any kind of capacity, it's like you're being insubordinate to someone that outranks you. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so that's why it's called Sergeant Sergeant. Rex. I mean, I don't address them as Sergeant Rex. You just think of it yeah. that way. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. And and I wrote the book because uh, um, I wanted to honor him. I felt Rex and what he accomplished and what he went through, not just with me, but in in his life period as a working dog especially during, you know, all the way up to when I had him, because I wasn't Rex's only handler. I, you know, when I got out of the Marine Corps, he stayed in, and, and several other handlers had him. But I wanted to honor our time together and honor him, so I wrote this book so that his story and what he accomplished will forever be out there. Yeah. And he will never be forgotten. I always encourage veterans in general um, th to record your stories, to put it on paper, you know, especially while it's fresh in your head because it's therapeutic, one, in the 100%. first place, just to get it out of your system. Two, it's a great way to honor the dog. If you're a dog handler, um, it's a great way to honor your dog. You just put it in, you know, it's something that you can read to your family, your kids, long after both you and the dog are gone, you know? And I was really fortunate for a publisher to be interested in our story. And, um, and that was its purpose, was just, one, honor the dog, and then also for that for anyone who reads it to be educated about what dog teams do in, in combat and also in their downtime and just kind of an inside look into a dog team and a normal and a typical, uh, you know, evolution of what sure. happens in developing the bond and, and going through all the training and, and all that stuff together. So, um, so that's the reason for the book. And then when I deployed, so I deployed with Rex in 2004 and um we got you know because i was an mp i wasn't infantry i wasn't trained to operate in combat um 
per se you know like i had my basic infantry training which is only like two weeks or whatever it is right out of boot camp but that's it throughout that whole period with my dog i'm training to be a regular military policeman to keep the peace on a base yeah. you know yeah not to operate you know with the infantry squad or platoon in a raid situation or in a firefight situation you know yeah so well here's the thing the number one threat to coalition forces and civilians are bombs ieds that were going off all the time and well how do you counter that and they realize the higher ups said well let's get don't we have dogs that can yeah. s detect explosives and so they had the marine corps deploy a team of explosive detection dog teams and rex and i were part of that um selection and when we got out there we were assigned to an infantry battalion uh second battalion second marines or two two um and and uh yeah we got stationed at a forward operating base called fob mamadia mm -hmm. which was about a half hour 45 minutes south of baghdad close to fallujah uh, it was in a really nasty area it was in an area that was known as the triangle of death and the reason yeah. why they called it that is because at the time that we were there there was an extremely high um rate of violence concentration of violence in that area and so we were just thrown in the mix and i was worried about how rex and i would be received by an infantry unit who we had never trained with before didn't know anybody there all of a sudden just show up and say hey i'm here to lead your patrols right. <laughs> and clear roads and bridges and yeah. stuff like that of of explosives but uh they received us they were happy to have a dog because like you mentioned earlier it had once you have a dog there it remind it, it gives them a piece of home you know it reminds them of their own dog you know yeah um and then once you go out on patrol and go out on missions with them and they see that rex can actually work and do what it's trained to do uh effectively well then they become even more of a fan of, of having a dog with them and so we worked all the time with the with those guys with those marines yeah it's uh it's yeah it's got to definitely be therapeutic in the sense too that you can you can like i would i would assume that when you're you're deployed it's hard for people to flip that switch yeah. right yeah. and and rex is one of the the few people that can he's like okay it's time to play yeah well they have a sixth sense or especially at least rex did he knew when we were back at the base he knew when we were relaxing and then he knew when we were out on patrol and it was you know serious situation you know you he, you can i can tell that he knew that it was a serious situation yeah because you know ha we have the saying ha emotions run up and down leash oh yeah so they can kind of sense and read dogs can read the handler and kind of get a feel of whatever's going on because of how their handler is reacting so it was really important when we got into a high stress situation like a firefight or mortar attacks that i remained calm and remained in a way that was you know where i didn't get out of hand yeah so that when he looked at me and was reading me on how he should react he would remain the same way because that's a big that you know it's a big deal to a dog to have a, all these weapons being fired around it or having mortars land all around it sure which are extremely loud for them um you know for them to need to know how to react to that situation a lot of times they just go off of what the, how, how their handler is reacting yeah. does that make sense yeah, absolutely yeah absolutely and in, and likewise i mean you, the, the part of your um your your training uh 
and handler school and everything is like i guess learning the different signs uh and characteristics of like the well, traits of the the dogs or and that's where the patience and the handler comes into play so you you know it shows how much time and effort you put into your dog by how you operate in a real situation yeah. or, or during a, a training sequence because as a handler you can really the more time you spend with your dog you know just like when you spend time with a human being the more time you spend with somebody you understand their little nuances you understand yeah. how they how you, you can predict how they're going to react yeah because the last thing you want to do is get a false hit or a or, false response yeah, false response yeah, yeah exactly and so it's called a change of behavior you you do so much training with the dog that you can tell just by the way that they wag the tail or stop wagging their tail or how their body how they position their head you can tell that they're on potentially some kind of scent mm-hmm. or that they're alerted to some kind of danger that might be in the area yeah and there's a two completely different change of behaviors you know and you have to understand as a handler w- what means what and yeah. so um that's and you and the only way that you would know that is if you you are with your dog all the time you know during training and and during downtime you know what i mean yeah how many how many hours a day i i know you you cover this in the book and everything but you you have your 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 initial training at pendleton and everything but when you were deployed how much time a day would you spend training um along with the time that you're going out well i'm with I was with Rex 24/7. Right. I mean, Rex is with me. He sleep. He slept in in his crate right next to my bed. Um, oftentimes on my bed. You know? <laughs> um, and in terms of actual training, we train uh, every other day, right? Because uh, a lot of times, every day we were out patrolling. Yeah. You know. So, and by the way, training is always happening. Like yeah. even if you're not setting a training situation up per se. Sure just having him with you and just being with you it's the, you're always fine-tuning their obedience their um, their temperament you know things like that and so it, it was constant I guess is what the answer would be yeah training is just always constant you know and you would especially when it comes to detection you you they have to smell the odor of each odor that they're trained on uh, so many times every month yeah so and of course the more the better you know mm-hmm. and eod which is the uh, bomb team they would always supply me with the odors so i could set up training problems and so keep them fresh all the time you know yeah the uh the tripwire guys that i <laughs> work with a lot they uh, they have a lot of um dog kits and stuff too right and yeah. it's a, the, the exact same thing it's like you're like constantly you got to keep like whatever whatever you know they're detecting if they're either you know, right. explosive or narcotic right. dogs, they have to like constantly be exercising right. that so that, you know, when they get in those environments, because there's so many different variations of say, um, PET and uh, some of you guys who, um, uh, seen the, uh, the, or remember the shirts, the, uh, my canine likes PET and, um, it, so it's the primary explosive component in uh, detonation cord. And so you have, you have different, you have different, um, I guess different types of explosives that are used in different countries. Um, so we'd have, we'd have like our plastic would be C4, right. whereas the British would probably be P4. Right. And, That's and, and so there's like the different significance. So you're like constantly having to train your dog on the stuff that it 
would potentially come into contact that's with. That's exactly it. Yeah, and when I was in Iraq, they had a certain kind of P- PE4 uh, that wasn't the same that we had been used to that he wasn't used to in training actually yeah and um so but thankfully our, the bomb team there had acquired enough of it to where we can use some so i can get his uh, get him uh, trained on it you know that's great yeah because yeah. that's 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 kind of one of those that that isn't i guess necessarily in the rule book or whatever you want to call it because like this i guess that one of the things that people probably wouldn't even think about is like oh it's just like well okay he can just figure out whatever kind of explosives are out there and that's just not the case because they they don't see it as explosives it's just a it's a specific right right and just to give you an idea of like the the dog can actually detect odors up to i think it's like 12 feet underground yeah i mean it's amazing right yeah did, and then, did, in, in one, one of your uh one of your stories there they like they have like this substantial yeah like yeah rex i mean he had several good finds yeah um he found uh, small caches he found a nice cache of debt cord yeah that was buried in, in sandbags um in a little stash area between trees um i mean he did a, a, a great uh, and that again that was even more of a reason why the marines accepted him because they could see that he can operate now you know i'll give you our first our very first mission yeah right i'll yeah. just give you this one because we were tested very early on like everything that we had done f- by the way i'd been with rex for i think it was a solid year and a half up mm-hmm. to the point that we deployed and that's like hardcore training every day throughout the majority of that time sure i was with them all the time because again when uh, you going back to that story of all of the handlers getting kicked out of canine and the dogs i was so i was very unmotivated almost falling into a depression because i felt like you know my entire life in the marine corps had just been flipped around you know what i mean yeah so when i got rex i just devote i just put all my energy and attention into training rex that's all i cared about was how good rex was um I didn't want to think about losing my friends, losing the dogs or all that kind of stuff. So um, it paid off in that sense because we just, I was with them nonstop. And so all of that time that I invested into training Rex all came to, was all tested on our very first mission. And what happened was I had been on base there for about a good week and a half or so. And I hadn't been out on a patrol yet. Right. Yeah. And um, I knew that, they wanted us out on patrols, but the infantry companies didn't know that me and Rex were there yet. We, I was told that they would be told, and it turned out that they weren't, right? Yeah. So um, I went into the company's, infantry company's office and said, hey, just a heads up, you have a bomb detection dog that is available to you if you want to use them. And they were like, oh my God, we didn't know. Yes, we have a mission going on tonight. Can you come? And I said, sure. So it turns out that there was a, like a safe house in a certain area of the of Mamadia that we were operating in that they had confirmed was like a that they had confirmed was a safe house for insurgents right mm-hmm. and that they were essentially going to go raid it during the middle of the night <laughs> and uh and search the, the people that were in it and see if they could find anything and they wanted the dog because they wanted the dog to sniff around the area and see if they if rex could find anything as well well we got dropped off um about a hundred meters or so behind the house in an alleyway and there was a barbed wire set up which they just cut and we started running which by the way the staff sergeant that was in command of that patrol or of that mission was like listen we got to get from here to there 
in, in like less than a minute. So let's move fast. And so the squad that I was with spread out and was sprinting essentially through this palm grove oh, that was there, right? And I'm running with Rex, and this is my very first mission, <laughs> right? Which, by the way, I was told in the briefing room that I wasn't going to be doing this stuff. I was supposed to just stay in the vehicle, and then once the house was secured, yeah, I would I was to go in and sniff around with Rex, right? Yeah. Well, that didn't happen at all. They said <laughs> the staff sergeant made the call at the last second. Hey, get off the vehicle. You come with us, and and we're gonna do this raid. And um, so I was like, okay. So I'm sprinting through this palm grove, and my weapon, my rifle is so big because I didn't get an M4, which is a much more compact rifle which most of the infantry guys had uh i had a standard m16 yeah with a long a2 or whatever yeah yeah and um which by the way i had it slung over my back because i also had a a m9 beretta right yeah and my and my dog in my left hand so i had my pistol in my right hand rex's leash in my left hand and i had my rifle slung over my back right but when i was running my rifle was hitting rex oh and um and plus, you know, so I realized that it wasn't really like for future handlers, like they need to bring more compact weapons, you know? Yeah. And as we're running, there's a there's a, uh, a pack of stray dogs in the palm grove. Mm-hmm. Right. So to the other mar- Marines running, they don't they don't care. You know, they're just whatever. It's a pack of stray dogs. But to Rex, that's everything. Yeah. You know, especially if they see Rex, because yeah. now he's intruding on their territory and they could try and attack or what plus sound an alarm sound you know it can give our position away yeah um plus if they were to get in contact with rex all of them are diseased you know yeah and rex if he were to contract anything would no longer be able to operate um plus rex saw them and he wanted to bark and give our position away so i threw a muzzle i had to stop running i quickly pulled out a mesh muzzle and i just threw it on him right away Mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah just to be sure he wouldn't bark. Um, and then the, the strays, they were bold. They were trying to get close to us, and I would pick up rocks as I would run and throw it at them. And then finally a Marine saw what, I, what was going on, and he got in between me and the dogs, and we keep them back as we ran. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, And I had to keep Rex focused yeah. on the mission of what's <laughs> going on, right? So we finally get to right behind the house. They have concertina wires set up, which is the round, you know, like you see on top of prison yeah. walls. They had it double layered, stacked behind, and uh, just in case, uh, you know, a squad of Marines wanted to come <laughs> from behind, but they didn't want to make it easy for us. Well, for the Marines, they basically just compressed it. They threw a rifle over it, compressed it, and they were just jumping right over this thing, right? Yeah. Well, I got to get Rex over. Mm-hmm. And um, he can't, I tried to get him to jump over, but he wasn't doing it. I tried to get him to jump off my knee with a running start. And uh, he, w- which, by the way, this is training. So like in the obedience yard back at Camp Pendleton, f- we have a six foot wall that we would train our dogs to, to jump over. And Rex could do it. But for him to do it easy, I would have him jump off my leg to do it. Right. Okay. So now here I am. I stick out my leg. I let him, you know, this is where the training kicked in to see if he would actually do it in real life. He did it, but he slowed his momentum right when he did it. So he was actually going to land on top of the wire. And I threw my hands underneath him. He landed on me. Um, and my hands went into the wire and then the Marine on the other side grabbed him by the collar and yanked him over. And he, so he cleared it. Right. Yeah. But he did get cut oh, yeah. part of his underside got cut. So, and I knew that because he let, let out a noise, but thank he didn't like yelp, you know what I mean? Which mm-hmm. he could have done, but 
So then I jump over, I check him out. He's good to go. He's bleeding, but he's good to go. And then we step into a big puddle of shit. Yeah. Because there's a cesspool behind the house and it's dark and whatever. It was just bad. You yeah, know, you're, you're not the only, yeah. only uh, Marine I've heard talk about <laughs> the, uh, the cesspools around. Right. That. It was yeah. disgusting, man. And, and uh, I pulled him out. It didn't, it wasn't too deep. Like it was just like up to your, my boots, you know? And, um, so now he's dirty, plus he's cut, you know. And then the, I wait outside with some of the Marines. The other Marines go in and clear the house. Um, person jumps out the window, starts running down the street. I say, they let me, they say, hey, send the dog to attack, you know. Because the per- they can't shoot him because it was clear he didn't have a weapon in his hand, yeah. you know. So I send Rex. The, the guy's running down the road. And by the way, this is the very first time I ever sent Rex, who's – fantastic at attacking by the way <laughs> this is the first time i've actually sent him on somebody yeah in real life yeah and uh and rex is fast too so he's closing ground quick well it turned out that it, it was like a kid like a 10 year old kid who ran underneath a street light and i can tell that it was a young child you know yeah well i mean come on man i can't let rex maul this kid and have that on my conscience, you know yeah so i called him off i called rex off and again, this is where training kicks in. Rex stopped. He, the kid had no idea he was about to get destroyed, you know? Yeah. And then I called Rex off once I saw it was a kid. Uh, and the kid just kept running down the street. Had no idea that a dog was running after him. And then I bring Rex back to me. I call him back. He comes back. Uh, we search the house. Um, we didn't really find too much. They found um, some weapons that were hidden. Mm-hmm. And then they rounded up some insurgents that they were known to be insurgents and then we brought them back and that was it. And that was the whole mission. So you have, um, you know, between the stray dogs jumping over the wire, uh, going after and then getting called off, uh, and then searching the house. That was our, you know, it kind of incorporated a lot of our training all into one mission. Yeah. You know? And, um, but he did great. He did really, really. And the Marines saw that he did great. And so from that point on, it's just, we were asked to go out all the time. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. And you guys, uh, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to give away too much of the book because I definitely want to give the incentive to uh, right. to read and and listen to it. And this is this is like really just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. I mean, like you go, you like go into so much stuff from the um, the equipment and everything right. from the kennel and and everything that you had to deal with in that process to just finding a place to sleep with Rex and yeah. everything. Is <laughs> just just it's really like really interesting like i i i really love the book i like i i, I don't think we've ever talked about it. it's like like i'm i feel like everybody and their brother feels like their life story is interesting enough to be made into a movie but this this like i i don't know like who you, you know, worked with on the on the book but right. it follows a very very good arc and i'm like the whole time i'm i'm I, I, it's painting such a clear picture. I'm like, oh man, I would really enjoy this movie. Because Thanks, man. Between, yeah, between Pendleton, uh, your process, the deployment, coming back, everything is just like, it's it's really, really good. Well, I was really fortunate, again, to have a professional author uh, co-author the book with me. His name is Damian Lewis, and he specializes in writing a lot of military genre type books. Um, and I'm really thankful to have him uh, throughout the whole process and being a co-author on my book is I'm not a, prof- I wasn't a professional writer, you know? Yeah. I did want to write it and I did want to, uh, tell the story and honor Rex and that it was, and by the way, I didn't write it with the intention of hopefully this will be made into a movie one day or no. anything like that. I mean, if it does great, if it doesn't, w- whatever, it's not, 
I'm just happy that people enjoy this story. It does well, you know, on Amazon it's out of five stars. It has over 200 reviews with 4.8 or 4.7 uh, rating. Yeah. You know, people have, if any of you guys want to, uh, uh-huh. increase that, <laughs> I'm not I, I, I feel like I like, here, here's the thing, like, because like, um, I, I really wanted to see if audible would work with me on this, this specific podcast, because I really like, I didn't want to be like the, the salesman, like, you know, when people, people hear me push, um, lead farmer clothing, right black rifle coffee and stuff like that they i like i want them to know that, that you know this is this is me you know they are companies that i'm a part of but you, you know that that supports me and what i do and so like for for this i really wanted audible to like be able to like provide a a a free like download so people like okay like the, your stories are like really interesting and it's like oh okay well I want to listen to it, but I don't know. Like if you're like, if you like, you can, you can get like a credit card or something like that or whatever. And you just like sign up and you get the book for free and then just cancel or whatever sure. you want to yeah. do. I don't, yeah. it's just like, you can go by the book at, uh, at books a million. If there's still one open in your right. area, right. Bar- yeah, Barnes yeah. and Noble, yeah. Am- yeah. Amazon, all that stuff. But I really think like anybody who like, who listens to it, they'll, they'll, they'll be like, Oh yeah, no, I'm like just any of you guys who download the audio book or you buy it off of Amazon or something like that. Make sure you just like throw a review on there, you know, just talk about Mike or, um, or, you know, your experience. Like, the guy who narrates the audio books. Awesome. I, like, I really, <laughs> yeah. really I mean, enjoyed I, it. Well, thanks man. I appreciate it. But yeah. I, I, if you do get it, I just, I hope you come away with it with a, a more better understanding of, of the process that a dog team goes through and, you know, the, the good thing is there's a lot more stories of dog teams coming out, um, yeah, which is great because one of the big reasons why I think that people didn't like we had to fight so hard to get our dogs the benefits and the, and the awareness that they needed is because there wasn't many stories out there about them. People just didn't know about again. I didn't even know the military had dogs when I joined the Marine Corps, you know. Yeah. And I think the more stories we get out, the more people get educated about it and the more awareness it brings and the value that they bring. Um, so that they're never forgotten anymore, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so we'll, you know what? I, I think we've been almost at this for about two hours now and I don't want to like, oh, wow, I feel like, Jesus, serious? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I want to like tell people what you're, you're doing now though, too, yeah. because like you keep going from all these like really kind of <laughs> interesting like yeah. things. And so now you're yeah, tell everyone where you're working now and what the, right. what's that all about. So naturally it has to deal with veterans and military yeah, of course. and, uh, um, I work at an entertainment company called We Are the Mighty, and you can check us out wearethemighty.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's it's a f- it launched in November 2014, and here at the time that we're recording this, we're you know we're April, and um, it has millions of views on the website, and it's an entertainment media lifestyle brand for the military veteran community, and we create editorial content, we create videos, but really it's a double bottom line company in the sense that. Uh, yeah, we're an entertainment company just like a bunch of others, and we want to do really well with it. But we also do we, – we want to make sure we bring awareness to important issues within ve- in the veteran community. We want to give inspiring veterans uh, another platform to, to give that message uh, to a bigger audience and give them a much bigger reach and really do the community good in, uh, in an entertainment kind of way. And our founder uh, – they have – our founders have tremendous – experience and years of experience within the entertainment community they realize it's a huge market that's essentially being underserved so they recruited a, a top tier veteran team um 
of writers and producers uh, to get together and basically create content for for the community and that's what we're doing so my job is kind of a little bit of everything my my title is director of talent and community outreach so i help provide strategic relationships to the company uh, i bring in veterans that we think would be great to create shows around or to sure. interview and and um stuff like that and um it's been great we've we have uh some great shows that we've watched and a lot more in development and we have great writers that are uh, touching on topics uh, that are both serious and a lot of fun you know yeah yeah and um and it's great yeah yeah that's uh it's kind of funny because we uh we we're both at shot show and yeah. th- did you get a chance to look around at a- anything you're like not really you a little just, bit you were yeah. just producing the whole right. time i was, was yeah, kind of yeah. curious if if anything like really stood out for you like at shot show that you like you like you like um maybe the one thing that stood out well just how huge it was actually i didn't realize how big i mean it was multi floors and the size of the industry well i guess it's really not that surprising um yeah i it was just it was very very large the amount of products that were out there and the amount of companies that are involved but also the veteran presence there's a lot of military veterans that are involved in the industry and and that's one of the reasons why we went to shot show is because um there's so many vets in the shot show community in the gun community that we wanted to find some portray them and and um give them a little bit of promotion and create some video content around it yeah you guys you guys have so much content on the website <laughs> yeah. it's like i mean like you went from like zero to 60 so fast yeah we're, we're working really hard man we yeah but we're all enjoying it a lot i work with some really talented uh, we have a lot of fun you know yeah. the veterans that i that i work with what like what I'm, I'm trying to think of what you could like really like push to the casual viewer like to because you I have well, like such a massive demographic of people that that from from veterans to uh to kids in high school i mean like i, I, like, I have such a varying yeah. demographic well, that's a good point is like it's not just for the veteran community a lot of people that are interested in the community will i think will find it very entertaining but i'll give you one example so uh, my last duty station again was the wounded warriors in san diego mm-hmm. one of the marines that was part of my squad his name was alex minsky alex is a marine who was um uh he he suffered uh an amputee an amputation uh, and in his leg on his one of his legs and he also had a severe traumatic brain injury where he was knocked uh into a coma uh, i think it was for about 90 days and wow. he went through a, you know an amazing recovery just to get back to uh living a, a normal life you know yeah uh but he also fell into a deep depression he went through some real troubled times in his life uh, fortunately, he came out on the other end in a really positive and inspirational way and um, and is now doing really well, right? Mm-hmm. And I've, I've been in touch with him throughout the whole time. Well, here's the thing. He's a really good-looking kid. He's got all these colorful tattoos. And um, and a photographer found a, you know saw him in a gym and said, hey, I want to photograph you. You have a great look. And he said, sure. And this was during a time where he was uh, coming out uh, on a positive note you know, throughout his recovery yeah and um the photos went viral right yeah i remember seeing them yeah Yeah. social media yeah and they and the next photographer wanted to shoot and next thing you know he's booking all these photo shoots right and and like overnight he went from this wounded warrior marine you probably even pull it up yeah go ahead pull him up actually go to his website uh i think it's alexminsky.com let's check it out um and he ended up on jay leno he ended up on good morning america I mean, 
he just kind of like became very large all of a sudden because people found inspiration in his story and also think that he's a really good looking kid you know um here he is here goes his website pulling up i think yeah and um so because of all the attention he was getting yeah look, look at him there he is right <laughs> um back when i first met him he didn't have all those tattoos he barely had any actually i don't know how's if, if, how this gonna work there we are um it's one of those flash sites yeah <laughs> but uh he went through this amazing recovery and now has a very large social media following and so because of where i work i brought him and i've been friends with him this whole time i brought him in and said listen you know you people find inspiration in you if you had a camera on you and had your own show and had a platform what do you, would you want to do with it you know yeah and he said well i love my audience i they've supported me so much i just want to give back to them however i can by letting them at, you know have more access to me by asking me questions and just you know giving them some kind of support on uh, on video yeah so we said great let's let's do a show around it and we did we called get mighty with minsky uh -huh. and uh and and now we have a, his and now he has his own show that his fans love they can't get enough of it oh that's great yeah and he just inspires people through his videos and answering questions and so that's a perfect example of of um of us you know giving an inspiring figure within the veteran community a platform to just continue to reach more people that's great yeah. that's great yeah and we have a lot of others um you know f some female veterans that we're partnering with and and um and we're getting into music we're getting into all kinds of different industries that that vets will want to find out and learn more about you know well i honestly i can't <laughs> i can't i can't i can't thank you enough for coming out here i mean like the i i've i've wanted to do this podcast for so long but yeah I just man didn't, congrats on this beautiful well, podcast I, setup no I, I wanted to have you here for like a long time i wanted to have you on the channel i really wanted to like incorporate you in some way or another i was like oh let's do some like decoy stuff we'll do it in slow motion right. we'll, like, <laughs> i don't i don't know how we'll do it but like honestly i feel like your book is just like one of the the best ways to do it and uh i didn't want like I, it's been a whole experimenting process here over the last i don't know four or five months and i've had some like you know really really good guests uh right. come on but right. the i didn't even want to upload the footage because it's just the, the equipment and everything was so crappy and uh. i feel like there's certain expectations that like some viewers might have of of the quality of stuff that i put out and everything so i wanted to make sure everything was good and i didn't want to like waste anybody's time and i know like well, i hope i didn't waste anyone's time either. no 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 I'm, I'm talking about i'm talking about wasting wasting somebody's time like like your time yeah. coming out here and then having oh, like oh, a, an, my, an no, inferior yeah. product yeah, well, like, i love like, what you do man i like you know again you were uh the way we got introduced is because i recognized that you were trying to bring awareness to military dogs and 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 some of their rights that they needed so i appreciated that a lot and then i just i followed your stuff since and you know you're entertaining man you well, do a really I, good job <laughs> i'm glad i'm glad you still follow because it's like <laughs> like i try to explain to people there's a very very like delicate balance that i have to i have yeah. to kind of go by because um it's a there's there's so many necessary evils in in what i do and like the the thing that i really like about this podcast is i can talk about it people can understand where i come from and you know when i first started doing what i do um you, there's a lot of people who will emulate what you do that's successful um and i knew from day one that from the first time i shot an iphone that destroying technology would be 
successful for me. Sure. It SEOs really, really well, and it's yeah. a huge catalyst for my growth. But it's not necessarily something I, I have fun doing it. I love coming up with if you if anybody's ever seen the Xbox One yeah. video that I did where I'm like uh, trying to impact it at the same time with a 50 calendar deck cord. Right. I, I absolutely love a challenge. I geek out on yeah. the science besi behind this stuff. I mean, obviously, I mean, like, look at the slow motion stuff and everything that we do. And uh, but th then there's this this balance between that, the breakdown episodes. I, I want to do this explosive series, but it caters to a very, 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 very small demographic. And for me, it's it's so I can keep my sanity. I do these kind of pet projects yeah, that yeah. don't necessarily do as well. But I know the core viewers really appreciate it. And I know these podcasts won't necessarily be, you know, tens of millions of views or anything. But the, the people that I care about will definitely appreciate it. Good, and and they'll, yeah. they'll hear like the point of view that I, and and they'll hear they'll probably get tired of hearing me talk because they'll know what <laughs> my opinion is going to be. But the, the fact that I get to bring people that like have like such unique stories like yourself and perspectives and are doing so many like really, really good things like VFT and now with We Are the Mighty and everything, your whole backstory and stuff like that. I mean, it's like, well, OK, well, if I, I guarantee you, if if only 20 people listen to this podcast because they know of me or whatever and like appreciate the videos and stuff that I do, all of them are going to really appreciate your book. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I, I mean, hope that they do. And and um, well, thanks for putting this together. I appreciate you bringing yeah, me no, out, man. No worries. So, like, OK, first of all, let's 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 pimp everything out that you're like, okay. what's what's your what's your what's your social media? What's the big handles that you're like, you're, you, just, you, you were Snapchatting when you came in here. I, I just discovered Snapchat long, not long ago. <laughs> I know, I feel. But, you know, social media is a necessary evil, you know, it especially is. if you have things to um, communicate about, you know. Yeah. And um, so because of the veteran community and staying involved, it's just a another tool um today's generation of veterans is very much dialed into social media just like everybody else so uh, i like to be on it because of that you know yeah. and um you can just find me at mike dowling on everything mike dowling twitter instagram if you want to follow me on snapchat it's actually murphy sutter that's my Wait, why is it murphy sutter <laughs> <laughs> that was uh um what are they your poor name your if is your first pet and the street you grew up on, uh -huh. right? Yeah. So my first pet was Murphy. He was a dog, and and uh, and and the street I grew up on was Sutter. So Murphy okay. Sutter. There you go. All right. <laughs> so you know what we might do is um, we'll we'll after we put this one up and everything, we'll give everybody a opportunity to read your book, listen to it, um, and then maybe if any of you guys have any questions or something like that, you might want to know about just. Uh, hit us up on uh, Twitter or any of that stuff, and we'll try to cover it in the next time because I know this isn't going to be the last one that we're going to yeah, do. Yeah, no, anytime, man. If you want to ask me a question on any social media, yeah, I'll do whatever I can to get back at you, you know, or I'd be happy to come back if you want it for yeah, round 100%. two or three or ten. You know <laughs> what I mean, man? All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And um, yeah. Awesome. Again, big special thanks to Audible for helping support the channel. If you guys want to pick up a copy of Mike's book, Sergeant Rex, go to audible.com slash fullmag. Sign up and download your free copy. I promise you that if you pick it up, you won't be disappointed. It's an extremely compelling story, and after you check it out, tweet me or Mike and let us know what you thought. I made this setup so I could get higher quality stuff out on a more regular basis, so if there's anybody you'd like for me to have here on the podcast, let me know, and I'll see you all next time.